Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, and necessary coaching conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Welcome into another edition of Essential Coaching Conversations. I am Asim. I am Kyle. And we're, we're back with another uh, inspired episode, I think, uh, from recent events. One of our, uh, our clients, one of our, our community members reached out to us because they're in the midst of hiring an assistant coach. And we figured we would do a quick episode. Maybe it'll be quick. Maybe it won't. I don't know if that's, I don't know if anything we do is ever really super quick. Not really in our, our wheelhouse. Um, but on, on things to think about when we're hiring staff, but from a more practical uh, perspective, the recruiting aspect of adding people to your organization. And this is something that kind of transcends sport, but we can use sport as the example for this because it's probably the most glaring. Um, and both of us come from sort of different um, experiences in hiring processes in careers. Um, I think I've, I've switched careers a couple times um, to this point, and I know you have as well. We can talk about that. But uh, yeah, just to sort of tee this up from where this came from. So we have clients that are all over the world. They work in multiple different sports, multiple different arenas, levels, things like that. And so we had one of our collegiate clients reach out to us about, um, you know, the worries about hiring a new assistant, especially as their season is sort of starting in the next month or so. And they have leads on some really, really good candidates. And we're just kind of throwing around ideas on how they can go about their interview process, what to even ask them, what to look for. Um, and, and a lot of those things that we talked about are going to make it into this, this episode. And I think it's really going to be worthwhile to listen, not just if you're in a position to hire people, but also if you're going for a new job, things that you can ask as that potential assistant coach or ask as a potential head coach of an athletic director or a panel to see if there is a good fit and sort of to, to evolve what the position could be. And I, th I think a big part of this is if you are the person looking for the assistant coach, having the, a, a large portion of the work that needs to be done prior to this is having the clarity of who you are and what your philosophy is and who you want your, you know, your program to be about. Um, having sort of that, that introspective journey first to understand who you want to have, you know, kind of coming along with you. And whether it be recruiting in staff or recruiting in, in athletes, if you're in a position to do something like that and thinking about who are we as a program? Who am I as a coach? This inner, inner voice versus these external formulas. How, how strong is my inner voice? What type of external formulas tend to, to tip me one way or the other? Do I, am I looking for somebody that is going to push me in my thinking Am I looking for somebody who's going to come in and just say yes to everything? You know, what do I really need? And then everybody's staff makeup is going to be different. Your high school, your college, you may be on a junior high, you may be volunteer, 
maybe a part-time summer program, whatever. Like some people might not even have a staff and you're just hoping to recruit a couple of volunteer parents. And so even thinking through what those roles might be and what you need from them, that's, that's going to be a little bit different than if you're a college head coach and you get to hire three assistants, ops director, a creative person, you know, we've got some of these college staffs now are getting out of hand. Quite honestly, there's 15, you know, coaches, Nin- on 19 staff people, with, Mizzou men's basketball, 19. People yeah. Like there's people being hired for NIL purposes. And so obviously those contexts are a little bit different because some of those roles and those jobs are super, super specialized. Not very many people are in, in that boat, right. Where we're getting to hire somebody to focus on one thing. Um, especially if you know, you're at a small college or, or a high school level. Um, and you might not even get to pick your assistants. That's the other thing. You might sort of be told like, hey, you're, you're the high school basketball coach. Um, the linebackers coach for football is going to help you out. And it's up to you to sort of onboard them into to who you want them to be. And so the, the array of this, again, the context is, is, is super, super varied. So we sort of go into this conversation understanding that and knowing that everybody's context is going to be a little bit different. But I think these questions can still be useful and these thoughts can still be useful to to apply to you in, in that particular way. And, um, you know, we'll sort of we've got a couple ideas and questions that we'll just sort of dive into here in a little bit. But um, maybe some of them are a little bit more applicable to you than than others. And again, that's OK. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the big thing to remember is that we are in a position to ask questions and to create clarity and alignment of thought. And if we can do that, you will be better off because you're not gonna hire somebody based on some archaic notion of what an assistant coach should be doing. Um, And I say archaic because I'm not sure job descriptions have really changed since probably like the late 90s, early 2000s, but the job description has absolutely changed in, in real life. Um, but we're still operating, I think, largely under the assumption that assistant coaches need to be able to do certain things. So obviously recruit. We're going to test them on their X's and O's knowledge. Maybe how they connect with, with student athletes. Maybe. Um, but primarily, you're looking for people who are going to come in and do the scut work that is delegated to them for relatively low pay as well. And then on top of that, there's going to be the addition of all of these new sorts of things. So even though social media is not super new, the utilization of it in college athletics and high school athletics is relatively new. Like the power of social media and thing, and engagements and things like that. And Kyle, I know, I mean, you live in that world. So being able to speak on that a little bit. And then I also think recruiting has changed and the mental health conversation has changed what an assistant coach's job actually is. And so it's even changed what a head coach's job should be. But we're operating under these false assumptions from, from, you know, 20, 30 years ago that have, have sort of continued to be the status quo by which we hire people. And then we ask them to do something vastly different from that and just kind of have to figure that part of it out, even though that's the bulk of the function of the job. Yeah, when I think assistant coach, some of the things just generalizing that kind of come to mind, drive the bus, be the maintenance person, 
um, wash the laundry, sweep the floor. I don't like working on rebounding. So you're going to handle the rebounding drill, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of, again, those delegated things that I, as the head coach, either don't have time to do or just simply don't want to do. Um, maybe protect me from parents as the game ends and sort of be my security and my bodyguard to, you know, get me up to the locker room or get me out to the bus, um, which I was very fortunate. I had a couple of assistants when I was a head coach. That was their job because um, mm -hmm. we sometimes had some parents that weren't very happy and they felt like they were privileged enough to come out and tell you exactly what they thought right there on the middle of the floor. And so, you know, those you sort of go through those experiences and you learn from them and you're like, hey, I didn't I didn't think I was going to have to tell you this is your job when you interviewed or I hired you. But this is now a need. And so we need to pivot. And so after games, you know, I might need you to take care of this or take care of that. And I think there's always that sort of constant evolution of little things like that to sort of pick up. And that's if you've ever read a job description, probably anywhere, but it's specifically in athletics on a staff, you lay you lay out one a, you know, letter I all the way down until the very bottom of that document and whatever letter you're on is always will assist in other areas of the program. Other, <laughs> will, other, will duties as other, other duties as assigned. And those end up being the things that you've got no idea that are coming that, that might pop up here or there, like having to run the, you know, the local um, sports shop to get a net 30 minutes before a game, because one of the kids, wanted to dunk during PE and they can't reach the rim. So they grab the net and the net breaks, you know, just random little things that nobody really teaches you when you go to like coach school that you've got to take care of. Or I, I, I don't want to um, coach the JV, but we don't have a bookkeeper. And so my assistant coach is going to have to keep the book. And now I got to coach JV or, you know, vice, whatever, all that stuff tends to happen. And those are more of the sort of the real relevant, like everyday situations that kind of come up. And so I think one of the, the characteristics that I would be looking for in an assistant coach is flexibility. Just sort of being willing to jump in and, and, and kind of do whatever those odd jobs might be. Like, I know I said it might be this, but I don't want you to get, you know, super upset or pissed off if I have to ask you to do something else. And, but then me as the head coach, the boss, the leader, the, the department head, whatever, I've got to also be willing to do some of those things too, right? Like, I don't, you know, you kind of hear like, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And right now I work for some really, really great people and have been very fortunate to work for some really great principals and athletic directors who will do anything. I mean, ADs that will run the camera, ADs that will drive the bus, ADs that'll step in and teach class, principals that'll step in and do that. And you sort of feel like, okay, if they're willing to do those things, then I, I you know, I got to be able to jump in and do whatever that little job is. So even if you're looking for that quality in an assistant coach, is it fair to ask them to have that quality if you're not willing to have it yourself? And so I think that's part of that introspective piece when you're saying, okay, these are the things that I'm looking for. Yes, we want somebody that might be a little bit different than you that sort of pushes you and sharpens you and gets you to think in another way. But when it comes down to those more core values, it helps if those are aligned. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's it's unfair to say that. I think what ends up happening is that the more experience you have, and I don't think this is a rule. I think this is more of just maybe like a generalization, but that is vastly applicable. The more experience that one has leading the program, the farther they are removed from those things that are like the other duties as assigned, because they're the ones who are assigning the duties. Right. So I think there's there's some of that at play that 
we often find ourselves asking people to be flexible because we have not stacked the deck and we have not really assessed where our blind spots are that would cause some of those things to happen. So like your example about having to replace the net. Sure, like that's a one-off thing that might happen. You gotta go run out and get one. That's great. But one of the things that are happening more and more often where there's things that are maybe slipping through the cracks or things that we need to be able to optimize to do better or even things that we can automate to do better. And it sort of leads us to this discussion about embracing the, the attitude of an assistant coach versus their aptitude to do what it is task-wise you think you need them to do. And so can that assistant coach help you in automating parts of your program that then do take things off of everyone's plate? So a, a really easy one is like scheduling recruiting calls. So instead of spending an hour going back and forth with a kid, trying to figure out a time that works for everybody, just having the ability to send them a link and say, hey, sign up for a call with my head coach. Hey, sign up for a call with me, schedule a time that works for you. Now we're spending our time actually recruiting that person instead of logisticizing with that person, right? When you're talking about logistics, you're not actually recruiting. And so if that's the primary function of an assistant coach, for them to be able to come to that interview and, and feel comfortable enough to say, hey, I can add value in this way. Like I am so good at these very like specific technological things. I can help with this. And that frees us up so that other duties as a sign don't feel like as much of an emergency or we're not like scrambling because we don't actually know what we're doing. And now you're sort of speaking to my Six Sigma background in, in uh, this efficiency in, in processing. So what, what do we want our assistant coaches to do? It would be great if they could make the head coach's life easier, but ideally, what do we want an assistant coach to do? We, we don't want them to make the head coach's life harder. <laughs> and I do think those are, those are related. They're not mutually exclusive, but they're not exactly the same thing either. You know, there are certain things that you can do that can make your assistant coach or your head coach's life a lot harder because you're not handling these things. And we talk about that law of entropy a lot, the, the randomness and chaoticness of, of sort of our small society or our universe where, you know, the law basically states that things are always going to get a little bit more chaotic. So what are we doing to sort of rein that in to stack the deck and make sure that we're not creating more problems for ourselves? But then are those, those little things that they can come in and, and actively make, you know, your head coach's life easier. Um, and so you talked about how have some of these job expectations changed? And again, I think you know, going back to high school, like just drive the bus for me. It's one thing I don't have to worry about. Okay, great. Like I don't have to worry about getting the bus ready, inspecting it, making sure that there's gas in it. You know, I'm, I'm emotional after a loss. I don't really want to be driving a bus with a bunch of kids on it or whatever. If, if you could take care of that, that's a huge load off my mind, concession stand, book, making sure that the officials are there and that they're paid. All of the things, again, that they don't really teach us in coach school that are that 90%. There's another made up statistic for you. That 90% it's of coaching It's always going to be 90%, really, though. Always. Always. Are the things that you don't get to think about when you want to be a coach, can somebody come in and, and, and help me, you know, handle a lot of these different things? And from 
the way I think those things have changed in, in 2022 recently, you talked about social media. So can I have a, can I have an assistant coach that's not just good at, you know, film and huddle breakdown and understands analytics maybe and can cut up a little bit of film or make a highlight tape, but your social media presence is such a big deal. And all these things trickle down, right? Things start at the top, NBA, NFL, WNBA, Major League Baseball, and you start to see these things trickle down in, into college and recruiting videos and, and commitment graphics and, you know, you know, 50 days till kickoff, 10 days till tip off. And we have, we have promo action shots and we're doing all these things to promote our kids and promote our program, which can be really, really good things. But even that stuff starts to trickle down into high school, schedule posters, game day posts, you know, all Instagram stories, TikToks, all this stuff. So if your assistant coach has, and again, maybe not the, the skill right off the bat, but the willingness to learn and go through some of those things and learn how to handle social media, not just the technical aspect, but, but also sort of the, the moral and ethical side to social media. You know, what should we be posting? What should we not be posting? Talking to kids about that kind of stuff. Um, do you have graphic design, you know, in your background? And if you can whip up final score graphics and, and all of these things, because if we can elevate our program and it's something that I, as the assistant coach don't have, to, or I, as the head coach, don't have to think about, that's a massive load off my mind, knowing that those types of things are getting taken care of. Because I think one of the, the hardest parts about working in social media and running social media is the consistency in which you show up. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, it's not enough to post like eight times over a two-day period and then disappear for three weeks. Or you only post that final score after a win. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you go 25 and five, but the five times you don't post something was when you lost, you know, we could sort of talk about whether or not you want to post that or not. But if I can trust you to show up consistently with that online presence, which is an extension of our program, which is an extension of my voice as the head coach, that's a huge ask. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to trust somebody to be able to do that is a lot different, I feel, versus drive the bus, keep the scorebook and sweep the floor as it was, you know, when I was growing up. Sure. And I think like that's where we have to be able to revisit what an assistant coach job looks like, right? Even in, in corporate America, right? Or, or the corporate world in general, job titles, job descriptions and, and, and job functions are constantly evolving. And so if we looked at assistant coaches, even in this way, like kind of the director of first impressions, generally the assistant coach is the one who's making the first contact with a recruit. Generally, assistant coaches are the ones that are sitting on the baseline the entire summer, making eye contact with those recruits. They're the ones that are really doing a lot of that work to set their head coach up to be successful. Mm -hmm. Further, if we're doing the social media, if assistant coaches are the ones that are updating websites and they're, they're getting scores in, they're doing all of these things to keep every single stakeholder abreast of what's going on, that really is their job title, right? The director of first impressions. Who is this person that is really going to be the one that gets people excited to sell the vision that you have as the head coach? And if you don't know what your vision is as the head coach, so thinking about like the values of your organization, for our clients and the people that we work with, the human component matters 
And it's not just like building high quality relationships. Like that's the the very, very tip of that sphere of, of what it is like building those high quality relationships through authenticity, connecting with people that this, that, and the other. What better way to do that than to have a robust social media presence that is the first impression, it is the gateway to your program. And if people can feel as if you are connecting with them over this medium, that is just as much the human component as how they're treated when they come to your campus for an unofficial visit. And the logistics behind visits, like I'm here to tell you, it, people can set up visits in their sleep, right? It's really not that difficult to take an itinerary, put it together, really like logically think through it and probably conduct a pretty good visit. Most visits are very much the same, but it's the pre-work and the post-work that make the visit really, really, really successful. And that is the function of a great assistant coach, that they're the ones that can get that set up. And then they're the ones that are following up after the head coach has done their piece, whether they gave out an offer, you know, we're following up. And eventually that transitions to the head coach, but you've essentially set the table for the head coach to be really, really, really successful. So in player development, in tactics, in the film room, in the classroom, Who's going to know your personnel best on and off the field? It's likely going to be your assistant coach. So if we're really looking at how we're going to interview that person and how we're going to search for the best assistant coach, that's where we should start. So let's take that from this. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier this attitude versus aptitude and sort of dive into what those are. What would we, how would we sort of divine, define attitude or aptitude what's sort of the weighted scale between okay you have these certain types of technical skills versus this growth mindset or this willingness to learn you know and, and we can get into this in a little bit but I, I recently got a job in a completely new field right like have some skills and some skill sets that can translate but was completely new to that particular domain uh and and the the certain types of job responsibilities, like I'm, I'm learning on the job, like I'm having to still figure some of this stuff out. Right. But there were certain, you know, uh, skills, I guess we'll call them that were at least attractive enough to be like, Hey, this is, this is somebody worth taking this risk on. And let's, let's, we can train them up on these things because this foundation over here is kind of set. So if we're looking at that from a, a, an assistant coaching standpoint, you know, would you rather have, you know, the, the person that coached basketball and that was just sort of all they ever did? Or would you look at somebody who probably coached a different sport, but were super successful in that sport and knows how to connect with somebody? And let's say it's not completely removed from, from basketball, but it's some type of an invasion sport, soccer, field hockey, lacrosse, something like that. You know, would you be willing to think outside the box and say, I would rather hire this soccer coach to be my basketball assistant because every program they've ever worked with excelled versus working, hiring the, you know, amoeba defense guru over here who that's really sort of the depth of what it is that they do. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're pack line certified, that moves you to the front of the line for an assistant coaching job, right? I mean, that's that's what we've been led to believe. And so right. I think you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head of the attitude versus the aptitude part. And I, I can't take credit for that phrase. That's actually from one of my former players' parents who ran a, a very, very successful software company. And they interviewed hundreds of people every month for open developer positions and things like that. I mean, all things being equal, the kids, the, and I say kids, but the, the people who were coming out of college or who were coming out of grad school with the degrees were largely the same, right? They had the same qualifications. They could write the same code. They could do all of those same things for the technical and tactical skills that the job required. So same thing for like, you know, people who go through like a coaching master's degree program. Nobody is knocking the coaching master's degree program. Nobody's knocking the so you want to be a coach program that the WBCA puts out. Nobody's knocking any of those things. But realistically, you're not learning much of anything that's going to help you contextually in the situation that you're walking into because every situation is different. So you might have all of the ability to make an itinerary. But if it's not the way your head coach wants you to make that itinerary, guess what? Your itinerary is useless. If you might have all the ability to talk to people on the phone and sell the school that you're at, but when that kid asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that is going to help you get to the answer to that question. It's your ability to carry that conversation forward. And so to take it back to the software example, you know, this gentleman was telling me they wouldn't look for kids who were just really, really, really good students or from Ivy League schools or from these tech schools that were known for computer science. They were looking for the kids who struggled a little bit. They were looking yeah. for the, 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 the candidates who had varied experiences because their attitude then showed, right? And they obviously interviewed them, right? They're not just going right off their resume the attitude that a lot of them showed was of that flexibility. It was of understanding how systems work from a larger point of view or how you look at multiple pieces of a situation because you're not just pigeonholing yourself into I can do this one thing and I do this one thing very, very well. And so as the job market has changed in, in outside of athletics, that just like anything else trickles into athletics to say, we need people with varied skill sets, but you only really get varied skill sets by having varied interactions with people and varied interactions with jobs and varied interactions professionally, personally, you know, on the court, off the court. I mean, I, like, I'm very proud of this fact. Like I didn't play high level basketball, but for me, I had varied experiences that have made me a better coach because I have had to see life through a different, through multiple different lenses and keep a great attitude, knowing that I have to work twice as hard to get half as far as some of my counterparts who played at the division one level or division two, II, division three, whatever. And they walk straight into jobs. I mean, we had a mm -hmm. conversation today with, with some athletics leaders and one of them told a story of, you know, one of their players thought she was a D one player. She wasn't had a very successful career in D three. And her first job at age 22 upon graduation is an Ivy League full-time assistant. What aptitude does that person have to do that job? 
what attitude can they put forth to do that job without varied experience that makes it so they can be flexible, that makes it so they can see it from a larger point of view of how their role affects everything else. So it makes me think of, of my mom used to tell me this story. I've heard her tell it several times, but she was a manager at a law firm for like 30 years and she ran their general services department. And it was basically her job to hire runners, which were typically college age students. And she talked a lot about uh, when she would, you know, they had a lot of turnover, you know, college kids moving on, going to college and, you know, getting real jobs and kind of in and out. And she would talk about how she would much rather hire the sort of C average student that had to struggle a little bit that had to have a little bit of that, that grit, you know, that sort of stick to itness, figure mm-hmm. it outness, versus the 4.0 who everything sort of came easily to them. You know, they were book smart versus, you know, quote unquote street smart. So a sure. lot of the times that they would have to have, you know, they would have to get things done under deadline. They've got to go pull some report from the clerk of court across town at, you know, by five o'clock and it would be four fifty-five. like which one of those, had sort of that that ability to connect and schmooze and you know go over there and build a relationship with somebody that was going to help them out sort of in a pinch versus mm-hmm. the personalityless you know four point again not the same. if you have 4.0 that if you if you have a 4.0 you're a drone but having having the ability to connect with people and that's mm-hmm. the thing that I keep coming back to like regardless of what your IQ is regardless of what your GPA was, regardless of what your ACT score was, can you connect authentically with people? When you, when you walk into a room, are people drawn to you? You know, are they willing to have a conversation with you? Or do they, are they comfortable asking you a question? Are they comfortable telling you that you don't, that they don't know something? Are you comfortable telling them that you don't know something? And, and just, again, it comes back to these conversations. If you're good at this, then chances are you're going to be good at whatever you do. Mm-hmm. And I've got some, some friends of mine right now, again, talking about changing careers. One of the best coaches and, and mentors and friends, ADs that I ever had, just completely changed careers and got into the business world. And they're going to be successful because it's not how well they drew up cover two defenses on Friday night. All-time winning is coach at the high school. But the reason why he was that was not because of his football, technical, tactical knowledge. He was a baseball guy. Wasn't mm-hmm. even really a football person. But he knew how to manage. He knew how to find the right people to surround himself with. And he knew how to motivate and engage and lead. And, and kids wanted to play for the guy. And, you know, if you're, if you're good enough for long enough, you've got to be a little lucky, too. That helps, you know, staying healthy and all those types of things. But now it's, it's really neat to see him be super successful in something that completely unrelated to sports. But at the end of the day, I think he would tell you the job title might be different, but the job itself is the same. Mm. The job is people. The job is relationships. The job is are those same things that make you a successful high school basketball coach could, you know, help help make you a, a successful store owner one day. Or, or whatever the case may be for, you know, your particular passion or whatever that is. And so I think when you, when you get the list of candidates, 
that are interested in working for you and working with you, we, we do have this notion to sort of go to the top of our pyramid, the technical tactical piece and say, okay, how would you, you know, what drills do you have? You know, how would you, how would you take our practice and, and, and turn, change up the drills or how would you tweak our offense or how would you do this or that? Mm-hmm. And we, we tend to forget the fact that we really probably need them to focus on how they're going to recruit each of our stakeholders from our administration, our fans, our teachers, our feeder systems and programs, you know, what type of relationship can they build from, I, I coached at a school that was pre-K through 12. We didn't have a lot of built-in advantages, but one of the advantages we did have was I knew who my point guard was going to be in six years because I was going to run into the second grader on the sidewalk, you know, every day. And you could start to develop that and having somebody that's willing to, to engage in those types of things um, ultimately was going to set us up assistant coach wise was going to set us up for some success uh, a lot more so than, you know, what championship productions DVD that they had, you know, consumed over the summer. And again, not to say that that doesn't have its role, but I, I just feel like we sort of over inflate the value of that role uh, as a, as a profession, you know? And so that attitude versus aptitude, we, we were also sort of talking about this too. What is the difference between youth and inexperience and how those two things might be a little bit different. Yeah. And, and this was one of the thoughts that I proposed to one of the the member of our EC community around whom this whole uh, podcast is based, but it's up to the coach. Like it's up to the hiring person through the questions that they ask. And I think this is a great jumping off point to think about like real tangible things we can ask and things we can do. It's up to them to get to the heart of what the experience has taught them, not just what they have or don't have. And this can also sort of go into the the idea. And, you know, it's a video that I made last year, I I think it was last year, um, about inspection versus evaluation. If we're only inspecting to find out what people don't have, instead of evaluating their shared experiences, evaluating their past experiences and saying, what did this actually teach you? Not from a task standpoint, but from an experience standpoint and from an, from an attitude standpoint. How did this help you become a better human being? And how will you apply that to us here in our context? That to me is really getting to the heart of youth versus inexperience. I don't think it's wrong to hire young assistant coaches. Everybody's got to start somewhere. But unless we are actively evaluating their experience beyond the numbers they put up on the court, beyond their playing experience, who they were coached by, and we can really evaluate who this person is and what value they are going to add to the mission and vision of our organization that we have said we are going to be about. If they can help us reach congruence in those things, and they are the best candidate for that job to do that, to reach congruence in what we said we want to do. They are the person for that job. Otherwise, we're doing the exact same thing we caution recruits not to do, which is just choosing the school because of a name and not because of a fit. So here we are again as coaches telling on ourselves, hey, this is what we said we were going to be about. We're going to hire this person because they are a name or they have a, a, you know, some sort of like social clout attached to their career as an athlete, 
or as, you know, whatever they did, but they're really not going to help us reach congruence in what we say we are about here. And I think that takes a really self-aware leader to be able to do that in a very short amount of time. Typically a, a, a very, very short amount of time where you're under the gun. And again, your, your options might be limited. Now, again, in a perfect world, you'd have a hundred people to choose from and time to vet them and all these things. And again, you know, like we prefaced at the beginning of the, the, the episode here, you might not have a lot of options. You know, it might be literally somebody that works in your, in your school. And so you're, you're greatly limited on who you might be able to select, but then when it comes down to, okay, this is maybe you're quote unquote stuck with somebody, but then just thinking of this, these things through this lens to say, okay, this is who I have. What are, what is their attitude versus their aptitude? And how can I sort of delegate certain things to them that might engage them a little bit more and connect them with what they're, what they're used to that is going to help them give some success. So if, if I can sort of prop up their aptitude a little bit, maybe that will bolster their attitude. And as their attitude changes, they're more willing to learn. They're more willing to do different things. And so that's where the attitude is, is distinct from it, but at the same time, they're, they're also connected, right? And so we talk a lot of times about how the, the two most important factors to your performance are engagement and motivation. And if I can, if I can get you more engaged, I can raise your motivation. Well, if I can motivate you more, I can also engage you more, right? And those things just start to pile on with one another. And it's, it's cyclical. And they, mm -hmm. we, we talked in the previous episode about stacking these wins. Well, again, if you have the ability to at least sort of deduce where this person is in their youthfulness, in their experience, in their attitude, in their aptitude, where are they diagnosed that, you can start to control that situation a little bit more, at least as best as you possibly can. Because again, none of, none of this stuff is, um, is perfect. And then speaking on experience, it's one thing to hire somebody who is, um, you know, inexperienced and kind of worry about that. But I think we also have to be aware of the person with a ton of experience that's not varied mm -hmm. and very limited in their, their way of thinking or their scope or they're very set into their ways. And maybe they, you know, got hired at 22 and won three state championships by the time they were 30 because they had a lot of talent and they felt like, oh, okay, well, this is, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm never going to change my practice plan ever again because this has worked for me. And then all of a sudden when that talent runs out and dries up, all of a sudden things don't work anymore. And we don't understand why, because we lack sort of that, mm -hmm. that introspective reflective period. And, or we're afraid of the person that is youthful, but a lot of times that youthful person is easier to, to work with and teach because there's less to unlearn. Mm -hmm. I, some of the, my favorite kids that I would work with at camp didn't know anything about basketball because they were the most open to the idea that you were about to give them. They weren't, you know, sort of jaded by, you know, the, the, the rec league that they played in or their trainer or whatever the case may be. And this is a conversation for another time that we could get into, but you know, our, our buddy Brian writes about fake fundamentals and it's really difficult to take a kid who has spent their entire youthful experience, maybe into high school, all, all the way to they, they you know, let's say they come to play for you and they've spent the last 10, 12 years constantly having the technique of these fake fundamentals drilled within them mm -hmm. and they become extremely difficult habits to break. 
So again, it's not to say that youthfulness is bad and, and experience is bad. Both of these things can have, you know, sort of their place. And I think that's where it comes down to, again, you, you as the, you know, insightful, introspective, reflective leader to be able to look at these things on both sides of the fence mm-hmm. and understand, okay, where is someone, where could they potentially be? What is their room for growth? What is their aptitude? You know, are we just sort of looking at them as their resume and then saying, okay, this is who they've been. And we don't take a look at who they potentially could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so to take that a step further, I mean, I think it's important that we put all of this into context for those that are listening who may have to do this, right? Who, who may have to go hire somebody who may have to engage in a hiring process for maybe not their assistant, but you know, an athletic trainer or another being on a search committee for something else. Like, how can we make this process better? So I think that there's four things here that really need to be considered. And we can sort of take what we've just talked about for the last however long, 30 minutes, whatever it is. And really, we have to start to understand what questions we need to ask. What questions should we ask that are not sort of the boilerplate, like, you know, tell us about yourself. This, what that, are your like, weaknesses? What are your weaknesses? <laughs> like things that people can go online and sort of Google and be like, all right, I can probably prepare for like 90% of the questions to use 90% again. Um, 90% of the questions that I'm going to get asked and I can have sort of like a ready-made response for those things. Instead, Think about the situations that you have been in where you would benefit from X, Y, Z that your assistant coach could do. How do you craft a question or two or five that deal with those things, right? If you really need somebody to run interference for you after a game, which, listen, truth be told, that was one of my responsibilities as the director of player personnel at VCU. I was told unequivocally, one of my jobs is to run interference for the head coach so that she doesn't get talked to on the way from the court to the locker room. That was one of my jobs, right? I didn't know that going in. It was something that was told to me on our first game day, right? So like, I don't really have time to prepare for that. So what other are other duties? Things, <laughs> yeah. Other duties as a sign. So that leads to the next thing is what do you, and so this is sort of the process by which you can, craft your questions and and activities. We're going to get to activities here in a second. What do you actually need your assistant coach to do? When you are hiring an assistant coach, it is a perfect opportunity to engage in the rocker process about every part of your program, which you should be doing anyway, but this is a great opportunity for you to really dive into, hey, what are my blind spots? What am I missing? What does our program need? Ask your players, hey, what do you want in an assistant coach? When we did our survey with, I think it was like 14 different sports, coach our levels and and around the country, like unequivocally, the results show they want relationships and trust. So how are we going to craft our questions to rock that out with that assistant coaching prospect, Right. No two interviews, and I know there are standards that have to be met with schools and things like that, but no two interviews should feel the same because we are going through that reflection, awareness, clarity, and alignment process 
to really glean out what they've learned from their experiences, how it aligns with our vision and mission, and how they're going to help us reach congruence while using the human component as the foundation for everything that we're doing. So if they are able to do those things, that person is going to be the best candidate for your job, right? The other thing, activities to do with them during the interview process. Can you help kind of clue them in to how your team's standards work? Can you show them a tangible example of what your team came up with for the standards and how they worked? And then subsequently asking questions about how they would uphold those things with the team. Because assistant coaches spend a lot more time with individuals and with the group than the head coach does. And so they are going to maybe be that first barrier of entry to the kids maybe attacking the slack. So how are we going to take these standards and make them livable? What are their commitments? What are the things that they want to see out of their own performance? I think a lot of times we have to do things like goal setting, but we never really ask about that in the interview process. We might ask like, hey, what's your five-year plan and things like that. Everybody's five-year plan got derailed in 2020, right? That's just, that's fact. So instead of that saying, hey, what are the things you want to accomplish here? And if that can't happen, what are the experiences you want to have here? And have them tell you what the experience is that you want. And then as the head coach, being a little bit introspective and saying to yourself, am I able or am I going to be able to help provide that experience for this person? Is that experience in line with what we say we want to be about? And then ultimately, like continually asking whether our processes and our expectations are too archaic. So if we are not as head coaches up on the latest things that need to happen, how kids want to be communicated with, what are the things that kids are looking at, especially in recruiting? How are we going about our processes in admissions or in, you know, in the office, whatever it is, how can this person help transform those things? So even though they may not have the technical, tactical knowledge that would augment our performance on the field in certain situations, we are taking care of all of these 95% of other things that every coach agrees is the actual work besides the coaching part, which is like 5% on the field or on the court. So to, to sort of put a little bit of a bow on this, um, one question that, that you asked earlier before we hopped on, and I think this would be a great place to sort of let this sort of lie um, mm -hmm. is, is, you know, we hear sort of the phrase like winning cures everything, right? Like if, if we're winning, it sort of, it sort of heals everything in that moment. And, you know, if, if we're, even if we're not playing really well, or we're not real happy, like at least we're winning, like at least we came out of there with the dub, like we survived one more day and you could sort of, maybe you feel like, okay, that, that, that trade over there kind of annoys me, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. But it, if we're eight, no going into week nine of football season, and we're number two in the state, then like, okay, well, we can sort of put up with these things, right? But as soon as the winning starts to go away, as soon as the calls start to go against us, or if you play football, what do they, you know, they say football is a weird game. You play with a very oddly shaped, you know, leather ball. It bounces funny. Sometimes it doesn't mm -hmm. bounce your way. Sometimes right. officials make calls that you perceive as bad. Sometimes 
you know, unlucky, our, our best player gets blocked out by a, a freshman who's trying to go hard in practice and he undercuts his legs and he breaks his shooting arm. That happens. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> sometimes things like that go against us. And even, even if we were being as lucky as we could, things start to, to sort of that entropy catches up with us, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's of our fault or even if it's not. The question here, who can you lose with? When, when the chips are down, when things are not going well, and you hopefully sort of asked this question when it came down to tryouts and roster management, who can we lose with on our team? Who can, who can handle this? Who can, you know, who is, who is sort of built into the makeup and the values of this program that are not going to make life harder for everybody? Who can we lose with? And I think, I, I don't know if that is a question that's being asked anywhere in any, any sort of interview process or even introspectively for that head coach, looking at those top three candidates and saying, which one of those, we can win with all of them, likely, if things go our way. And maybe one of them sort of tips the scales, but which one of those can we lose with? Who's going to help us right the ship? Who's going to help do all the things that we talked about earlier in the episode to sort of you know, trap that entropy and, and, and re re reverse the order of the chaos and not make things worth, et cetera, et cetera. Who's somebody that we can lose with? Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head that that is not just for staff, but that requires us to understand the answer to that question for any person that we are attempting to bring into our organization. Staff, players, athletic training, it doesn't matter. Who can we survive this with? Who's going to be the person that will jump in the water with us and make this thing happen to where we can reach that congruence that we've set out to reach?